Okay, so I'm going to read now from Genesis chapter 33, which um, you will find on, um, uh, well, in my Bible, it's on page 36. It might be in yours too, but it might be somewhere else. Now, uh, let's, uh, I'm just checking that I am coming through. I think you can hear me. There I am. Right. Uh, Luke, uh, no, uh, Genesis chapter 33. And remember, Jacob's just had this extraordinary encounter with God and um, he uh, has been wrestling with him and he's woken up in the morning and now he's going to meet Esau. So Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms round his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what do you mean by all those, these droves I met? To find favour in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favour in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you've received me favourably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favour in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Aloe Israel. Great, well, we're going to look at that together now, so let me pray. Father, we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, help us to understand these words, help us to get to know you better. As always, we pray that even in these circumstances we're in now, that you would equip us to find hope in Jesus and to keep um, living for him and sharing his good news. Amen. Well, overnight, everything has changed, hasn't it? Uh, a week ago, we couldn't quite believe that we had to stop serving refreshments in church, drama. And we were agonising over whether it was 
appropriate to serve food with gloves on or not. And goodness me, we're not there anymore, are we? In the space of a few days, the government went from telling us to wash our hands to suspending schools, putting the UK on the verge of lockdown. Many of us are struggling with the implications of working from home, of no more school, maybe a struggle, maybe not, juggling uh, new responsibilities at home and at work. Um, some of us working in healthcare, going through incredibly stressful times for all concerned. Uh, we may be fearful for our job security for the future. We may be fearful for our health, for elderly or vulnerable family members. Um, trying to get our heads around what does home education look like? Uh, wondering about what's going to happen about exams. There's a huge amount of fear, there's a huge amount of frustration. Now, if you were here last week or there um, with us last week, or you've listened, caught up online, you will remember Jacob was brought to his knees. He heard Esau was on his way with 400 men and he panicked and he prayed. And then you'll remember that this wasn't God abandoning Jacob and leaving him to his fate, but God transforming Jacob overnight from a deceitful manipulator to a changed man with a new name the name Israel the one who struggles with God who's learned through bitter experience that he has nowhere else to go for blessing than to God himself and so humbled he limps away and now we see what happened next this chapter is all about God's grace and um, the word favour in this chapter is the same word for grace. It's God's undeserved kindness and blessing, his favour to those who don't deserve it. God's grace was at work in the life of Jacob. And we need to know that same grace in Jesus Christ today, not least in these present circumstances that we find ourselves in, but always. So let's see what happens first of all. See, first, so first thing to see in, the, in these verses, God's grace brings overnight transformation. God's grace brings overnight transformation. Verses 1 to 11. So overnight, wrestling with God, Jacob has literally been transformed. And we see this straight away as Jacob's fears seem to turn to reality. So do you remember how terrified he was in chapter 32 at the idea of uh, Esau coming with 400 men? Esau, who he had conned out of his birthright and later his father's blessing. Esau, who the last time they met, had vowed to kill him. And now the day has come when they are to meet. But look now, Jacob's encounter with God has changed him. His instincts at first in chapter 32 were to hide. To send his wives and children ahead of him. And do you remember they, he was to tell, they were to tell anybody they met, Jacob's coming behind, Jacob's coming behind. Just so it wasn't a surprise for Esau when he arrived. But now it's Jacob taking the lead. And it's worth noting that as far as Jacob was concerned, he made up his mind that this was the worst possible thing that could happen to him. And that this was all going to end in disaster. And although previously he'd been able to work himself out of the problem, now there was nothing he could do. But the thing is, his worst fears did not actually 
materialise. So, so often we jump 10 steps ahead, don't we, when, when things like this happen? And maybe we're doing that right now. And we assume the worst. We assume everything is terrible. And sometimes the reality is when the morning comes, it may not actually be quite as we fear. And actually, Jesus reminds us, doesn't he, that um, tomorrow is out of our hands. So we shouldn't be worrying about tomorrow. We should be worrying about today. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Think about what it means to trust God right now. But you see, for Jacob, it's his encounter with God that has made all the difference. And now Jacob's meeting with Esau is a little kind of foretaste of the imagery that Jesus uses in his parable of the lost sons, which we looked at a few weeks ago. And then we heard Grace read earlier as well. Esau isn't exactly like the father um, in the, the parable, because the, think about it, the father in the parable represents God. And yet actually, um, verse 10 um, that, that's who Jacob likened him to, if you look at that. So Esau's not exactly the same as God, because he's Jacob's older brother, and, and actually Esau's not behaved like God at all in the whole thing. But here, he's being like God to Jacob. Think of that younger son coming back. He's rehearsing his speech in the parable of the lost son, feeling utterly condemned, utterly worthless, prepared to buy his way back into the family. And now, here is Jacob who knows he deserves everything Esau might say or do to him. And Jacob is coming back. He's desperate to buy Esau's affection with his gifts. But verse four, when he was far off, when he was still far off, as Jesus puts it in the parable later, Esau runs to meet him and embraces him and throws his arms around him and kisses him with tears running down his cheeks. You see, this is grace. This is undeserved favour from his brother. And that is what Jacob now wants to testify to. God's grace in his life. Look at how I've been blessed, he's saying. Let me bless you. Now, do you see that verse 10? Because, uh, In fact, verse 11, because look, God has been gracious to me. And so I want to bless you. Because seeing you is like seeing the face of God. So do you see, when you receive God's grace, it changes everything instantly. There are new priorities. There are new attitudes to the circumstances you find yourself in. So how then does God's grace, his undeserved love for us in Christ, how does, how does it do that? Well, it gives us a new perspective on our circumstances. Do you see, the problem is we panic when we, when we panic, we do that because we think no one else has got my back. We think the entire future of me and my family depends on me getting everything in place. We think everything hangs on those exams that have now been cancelled. We think my worst fears really are about to come true. And there's nothing I can do. And it terrifies me. And maybe we can see that a bit in some of the, the responses that we've seen going on with the um, empty shelves in shops, people just desperate to cling on to something that they think will make them safe. And if we're honest, we probably have been going down that line as well at times. But God says to us, if we're trusting Jesus, he says to us, have you forgotten that I've already met your deepest 
and greatest need. I've already met your deepest and greatest need. You see, you are secure in Christ. Nothing can separate you from my love, he says to us, if we're trusting in him. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8. He says, not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. None of these things can separate us from him. So cling to him. So what do we need to do then? How do we, what do we do actually every day as we go out into extraordinary uh, circumstances? Well, let's begin each day preaching the gospel to ourselves. So we may wake up and we may think, do you know what? Today may be very hard. It may be full of stress and sadness and suffering and certainly sin. But we have a mighty God who has been very gracious to us in Christ. And when we confront our greatest fears, they may not turn out to be quite what we thought they would be. But even more, even more than that, even if it's worse than we could ever have imagined, God has already sorted out the even bigger issue of our sin, of our standing before him. He has clothed us in Christ's righteousness. He's making us ready for eternity with him. So, of course, we do need clarity on where you can buy paracetamol and where you can buy toilet roll and how sick forms and universities will treat predicted grades and how we will possibly cope if the worst happens to our loved ones. And those questions and worries aren't going to go away overnight. But in Christ, he says to us, if you've got me, you've got everything you need. That is how God's grace brings overnight instant transformation to us and our circumstances. Do you see, it doesn't change our circumstances, but it changes us. And yet we do know there is still a life to live here on earth. There is still tomorrow morning to get up for. There's still a life to live where there's a constant battle between God's spirit working in us and our own old sinful natures, the flesh, as Paul puts it in Galatians. We experience that overnight transformation one minute and the next we're back to panicking and fearing again. And we wonder if we will ever really change for the better. And that's why we need to see what happens next to Jacob in the second half of chapter 33. So we've, saw, we've seen, first of all, God's grace brings overnight transformation, not to our circumstances, but to us. And now God's grace brings lifelong transformation from the second half of the chapter, verses 12 to, um, to 20. God's grace brings lifelong transformation. Okay, not to our circumstances, but to us. Esau and Jacob have a conversation. So what do they say? Esau says, come with me now that we're reconciled. Let's go and live happily ever after. And there's that sense here in Jacob's reply that he still cannot quite bring himself to give his brother a straight answer. The fact is, as Jacob says at the end of verse 14, Esau is headed for Seir. Now that is outside of the promised land. And what has God told Jacob to do? He's told Jacob to go into the promised land. And so it's a bit of a deal breaker on their living arrangements, this. And yet Jacob can't quite bring himself to just fess up and say that that is the case. And it just shows perhaps he's still a little bit wary. How is Esau going to respond to this? So he makes up this story about needing to care for the livestock and the children. You know, no, no, Esau, don't, please don't leave anyone behind. See you in Sarah, my brother, he says. You see, there's still plenty of the old Jacob in the new Israel. 
But verse 17, where does Jacob go? Well, he goes to Sukkoth and he built himself a house. Do you see a place for himself? Verse 17. And then on to Shechem and he builds an altar. And on the surface of things, we think, OK, fine. God has kept the promise to Jacob. Where is Jacob? Well, he's in the promised land. Pretty good. Just as God said he was supposed to be until we remember back in chapter 28, when God made that promise that he would come back to the promised land, which, which was in the dream of uh, Jacob's ladder back in chapter 28. God made that promise. So you're going to come, you're going to come to the promised land. And then Jacob made a vow to return to the place which was called Bethel, the house of God. So what is Jacob supposed to be doing at this point? As he gets into the promised land, what well, he should be seeking God's house in Bethel. But you see what's happening? He's building his own house in Sukkoth. The end of this chapter, this second half, is what you might call kind of right ballpark obedience. It's the kind of thing that we often settle for in our lives. We, we, we sometimes call it half heartedness or kind of tick the box mentality where near enough to godliness will do i've done my bit i've given a bit of my time i've given some of my money to god now the rest is for me you know god can have sundays god can have wednesday nights at least i'm not a murderer at least i'm not coughing on the tube but the thing is we're all works in progress and we all suffer from mixed motives and the other effects of the ongoing battle between the spirit and the flesh inside us. Jacob was transformed overnight by God's grace, but he wasn't made perfect overnight. And the overnight change marked the beginning of God changing him through the rest of his life. And God does the same to us when we're trusting in Jesus, doesn't he? And again, the New Testament tells us that, that, that God especially uses our circumstances to do that. So maybe, maybe that is what God is doing right now in these extraordinary circumstances that we find ourselves in now. Maybe this is a season that God will use to shape us further and make us more like Jesus. Maybe he wants us to depend on him. Maybe in the West particularly, we have got so used to being able to build our own security around us, our own fortresses, our financial fortresses, our material fortresses, where we think everything's fine because I've got all these things in place. And actually a child of God can never say everything's fine because they've got everything in place. A child of God is, is, a, is someone who depends on their heavenly father. Maybe this is a season where we're going to need to depend on him more and more to, to spend more time praying to him maybe we will have more time than we we do normally some of us will i know not, not all of us will certainly because of what's going on but if we're, we're less time commuting more time praying more time depending on god on our knees and maybe through that then learning not just to depend on god but to depend on one another could that be something that god is teaching us at this time actually we're really bad at doing that in the west in london we want every, you know, we, 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 we often delighted to help other people. We find it much harder to say, actually, do you know what? I need help right now. Could you help me with 
such and such. Maybe God is teaching us all these things to transform us from being merely kind of right ballpark in our obedience to sincere wholeheartedness. So everything has changed this week, but in another way, nothing has changed. God is still God. Jesus is still Lord. God is still building his church. A friend put it like this this week, that that people are referring to these times as kind of apocalyptic. And do you know what the word apocalypse actually means? It means revelation, which is why we call the the final book in the Bible. Sometimes the apocalypse, sometimes the book of revelation. But why does it mean that? Well, that's not about the end of the world, do you realise? It's revelation means the revealing. And in the book of Revelation, most of the book is peeling back heaven so we can see what is really going on. So if these times are apocalyptic, it means that we are, our times are being peeled back so we can see what's really going on. And maybe we're being reminded of things that ought to have been playing all along, that we are weak and frail and death and disease are real and they're significant enemies. They're not just things that happen to other people. The world is broken. It's not how things are meant to be. And we may feel everything is falling apart, but do you know what? God isn't in lockdown. He's not self-isolating for the foreseeable future. He hasn't been cancelled. And in his grace, he's still using our circumstances to work in us, his lifelong process of change, because he stepped into this mess. He stepped into a world that was desperately Um, trying to avoid him, a world where the people who met him put him to death on the cross. And that is the kind of commitment that God has to us in our brokenness, in these circumstances where we don't know what's going to happen next. So what do we do then while things are like this? Well, we do what we should have been doing all along. And uh, we, we, we pray and we begin each day saying, Lord, do your work of transforming grace in me today. By your spirit, through your word, make me more like Jesus through everything that happens today. Make me ready for eternity with you. And then use me to do the same for others in my work, in my family, wherever today takes me. We don't need to wait for things to be normal again to do that, which is always the temptation, isn't it? Actually, for many brothers and sisters around the world and through church history, life is always a deep struggle. And we can learn so much from those who humanly have very little, but who are rejoicing because they have Jesus. Now, God was doing that slow, transforming work in Jacob through the rest of his life. The altar that Jacob built at Shechem at the end of the chapter was called El Elohe Israel, which means mighty is the God of Israel. He is mighty. He is full of grace. He is all powerful. He is all loving. We can trust him to keep doing his work in us in our church, in our loved ones, and in his world. So let's keep doing that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, in Jesus you've given us everything we need for every circumstance. Thank you that your grace in him is enough. Thank you that that changes us, changes our perspective. When we trust in Jesus, that changes our perspective straight away. And then by your grace, you also work in us through the rest of our lives. Please, would you do that in these extraordinary circumstances now and always. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen.